Thank you and good morning. I'm Jim Swan. And I'm Deb Brady. And today on Ask BBB, we change the lyrics of one of the season's favorites to Later on in the supper club, we'll dream in the hot tub. Uh, we have Peter Broadbent of the Warehouse Guys to bring us tips on buying and maintaining a hot tub through the winter months. And last week's snow drove a rush of snow tire sales. To keep us safe on the road, we're here with Jeremy Hanford of Hanford Tire to let us know when and if we need winter tires. Black Friday is behind us, but the offers continue with Cyber Monday and Giving Tuesday. Ask BBB Communications Manager and Show Producer Ashley Castleman will join us out front to give us information that will help us wade through it all. Right now, let's welcome our first guest, Peter Broadbent of the Warehouse Guys, and talk hot tubs. It's Thanks great, for having me. Oop. It's a great subject to think about a way to get warm as the cold weather approaches. Well, it, it's counterintuitive. Uh, do people install these just before winter, Peter? The most popular time to be in the hot tub, in my opinion, is when it's cold. That's when you're going to seek out warmth is when you're cold. So, yes, the summer, the fall, the spring, the fall being the probably the largest time of the year when people want to get themselves a hot tub because they're feeling the chill and they, you know, find themselves that they have a desire to get one. What are things that people should think about when they're purchasing a hot tub? Well, there's a lot. Um, how big is your family? Because hot tubs come, you know, you're five, six foot, and they come all the way to eight foot, and they go as large as a swim spa. So when people first come in, typically I ask how many people in the family. That'll give me an idea if you should have a small one or a big one. You want a lounger or all seats, a lounger being somewhere to lie down, lounger being the most popular because people go to a hot tub to relax, hence the lounger. Um, where they're going to put it, all many different questions like that. Does the size of the hot tub determine the maintenance costs? If I have very, very small amount, if you had a seven-foot hot tub opposed to an eight-foot hot tub, the extra cost per month I would believe would be less than 2 $3 a month to the difference between the seven and the eight foot. Yeah. So what are some of the things then you have to do to maintain a hot tub? Because that's one of the things when we consider it, oh, I don't want to do that because it takes too much. Well, there's actually very little. The way they make them now in technologies nowadays, you know, there's they have advanced filtrations. They have ozonators in them and, you know, there's microban on the acrylic to keep them clean. So there's a lot of things in the spas nowadays to make them maintenance-free. Once a month, you're going to check your alkalinity and pH, which is as much as sticking a test strip inside the water. And if it comes out not yellow enough, that means add a little bit. If it comes out too yellow, put in some to decrease it. Once a month, you're looking at five to ten minutes of what you need to do. And then you'd clean a filter once a month. So very minimal maintenance, really, especially for what you get out of it. What is the cost, though, of maintaining the heat in that tub so that it's ready when we want to go and warm up in this cold weather? Well, people are going to average, you know, I guess since the career of hot tubs, people have always said a, a dollar a day, but that can vary. It's like giving you a car and telling you it's only going to cost $20 a week. I have no idea where you're driving with the car, so I have no idea how much it's going to cost. If you have a home with three kids and you have the Kool-Aid house at 6 o'clock and then the other kids are in at 7 and the other kids are in at 9, you're going to pay a lot more than your neighbor that uses it three times a week. But 
you have to remember if it's costing you more, it's because you're using it more. So you're really getting a bang for your buck, in my opinion, right? So that sounds like a very useful way to have the hot tub and an extra series of users. What do you do when you're away, though, and there's nobody there to use the hot tub? Well, if you're there, the filtration and the heat, it's all taking place. You don't have to be there. If you're going on a holiday for a week or you're going on a holiday for two months, there's really not a whole whack for you to do, especially in a week. You just go away. And you can turn the temperature down a little, but that's really, it's not going to save you anything because if you typically have it at 102 in the winter and you're going to bring it down to 70 degrees and come back a week later and bring it back up to 102, I personally don't know the exact specs, but it would probably cost you more to heat it from 70 degrees back up to 102 just to leave it where it is. So people who turn it down a couple degrees after they use it, expecting to be able to turn it up two degrees when they get home from work and be able to use it before bed. They're not really saving much then by those couple degrees? Oh, not at all. In the long run, that might actually cost you more. In short, find your comfortable uh, temperature, which is typically around 100 to 103, um, and just leave it there. Like I have tubs now that are going to cost you $20, $25 a month to operate. Very inexpensive with normal usage. Does Warehouse Guys carry a large stock of hot tubs or is that something that you normally would special order? Um, we probably have at any given time, summer, spring, fall, a minimum of 50 hot tubs in stock to my accountant's dismay. Um, uh, you can order a tub. Typically, they're going to take three weeks to a month to get them to ready. Um, I like to have things in stock for people. One, I believe it's a little easier to sell because a person can get it right away and your money doesn't do you any good in the bank. So I keep it in stock for the customers. So we might even be able to have one for Christmas. Oh, you could come in today, literally have it delivered tomorrow if you wanted, right? Great. And we can get it delivered even in the cold weather and get it installed and everything. We're open 365 days a year. We deliver 365 days a year. We specialize in it. You tell us what you need done and we get it done. Fantastic. We'll leave leave Santa's some uh, milk cookies and a free pass to the hot tub. Maybe a towel. (laughs) There you go. Peter Broadbent of uh, Warehouse Guys, thanks very much for being with us this morning. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And when we return on Ask BBB, do you have your snow tires on yet? I'm still waiting. Welcome back to Ask BBB. I'm Jim Swan. And I'm Deb Brady. And we welcome Jeremy Hanford of Hanford Tires, with two locations on Rideout and Warncliffe. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning. Jeremy, I've heard that Quebec has a mandate that drivers have to install snow tires early in the season. Why is that? Well, obviously, uh, it reduces accidents, and that's why there is a big push for snow tires. I believe the rubber compounds being softer in the colder temperatures uh, make the tires uh, stop a lot quicker because they're more pliable as, as temperatures drop. Well, if they're more pliable and there's not snow on the ground throughout the entire season, does that mean that the tire is going to wear out faster? That's a great question because basically at 7 degrees Celsius, your tire's not going to wear out any quicker than what it would if we had a foot of snow. So this is why you know we encourage a lot of our clients to start booking their snow tire appointments in mid-October and any time thereafter. Unfortunately, I didn't book mine soon enough. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to getting my snow tires on and at the same time getting a little maintenance checkup at Hanford's. Tell me, should I be telling my insurance company that I'm getting my snow tires on? 
Absolutely. A, a lot of insurance companies now are giving a discount if you have snows. Um, this is a great uh, indicator again and, and another positive to, to why we should look at snow tires uh, when it gets cold, obviously. Um, all you have to do is contact your insurance agent and see what your discount is uh, or email them when they're installed. That's a pretty good clue that there is an advantage to snow tires. But the argument continues as to whether or not you need them or if all seasons are going to be good enough. What difference does a good snow tire make? Well, the least expensive snow tire is generally 80 to 90 percent better stopping distance or shorter stopping distance than that of an all season. So when you get into your uh, more brand name or your higher end snow tires, we're talking 20 feet shorter stopping distance at 80 kilometers an hour when you have to slam on your brakes. That's three or four car lengths in, in some cases that can stop you from being in an accident. Jeremy, there's such a range and such a differences in costs. How do you help a person fit the tire to their situation at all? What are some of the things you have to take into consideration in driving? Another great question. Basically, you ask them where they do most of their driving and what are their concerns. Are are they mostly in town and they're mostly concerned about getting down their side street because it hasn't been plowed yet? Or are they on the highway a lot and they're more concerned with black ice? At that point, we can direct the person into a better fitment of what tire best suits them and their car and obviously their driving needs. Okay. Sure. For who, who's going to have that most expensive tire and, and, and why? Majority of the time, it's, it's on your luxury vehicles because they do come with a bigger tire to begin with. So basically, with the larger the tire, generally the, the larger the price tag. And so in that case, you know, your luxury vehicles or your bigger SUVs are definitely more expensive or your premium ice radials are going to be your most expensive. Well, if I'm investing in winter tires and taking off my all-season tires, does that mean that I would expect to get more longevity out of the all-season tires? Exactly. Basically, for the most part, most people keep their car anywhere from four to eight years. And for the most part, again, you will not get four or eight years out of one set of tires. So we do encourage people when they buy a vehicle at first to buy those winter tires, have the best traction, the quickest stopping distance in the winter, and the nicest ride in the summer. And then we'll extend your life probably to the six, seven year mark easily. I did notice that when I changed out my winter tires to my all-season come spring, it was a little bit quieter ride. Yes. Uh, this All-seasons are definitely a quieter tire. That's why the winters give you better grip because there's more void ratio between the tread blocks. So it makes them a little bit more aggressive, easier to dip into the snow. However, winter tires have come a long way over the last couple decades, and they are much quieter than what they were in the early 80s. Now, I live in a condo, and I I think snow tires are a smart idea. But what do I do with my tires? I don't have a place to store them in my garage. A lot of places like we have, we have a tire storage uh, facility that basically will store people's tires uh, for each season. And uh, obviously, there's a cost to that. But uh, people have found it quite, uh, yeah, they found it uh, good for their lifestyle and obviously saves them a lot of space around their house. I did have the problem before when I thought I had space for it. I did, but I couldn't lift them and I had to get my neighbor to load the winter tires into my car. And since then, I have been storing them. Peter, there's one other decision that we're uh, asked to make when it comes to snow tires, and that is do we buy an extra set of rims? And when does that make sense? The the rim makes sense basically when we're going from a larger diameter tire. Let's say you have 18-inch tires on your vehicle 
and we can uh, downsize you to a 17 or 16 inch tire. At that point, we would buy a rim and a tire. And a lot of times that cost is offset and almost the same as buying that larger 18 inch tire. That's when we recommend going to the rims and the tires. And I guess we would save some money each time we have the tires put on. Correct. It's it's about half the price times two a season. So a general uh, rule of thumb is if you're buying steel wheels, the black steel wheels you see the most common, basically you're uh, three years and you've paid off your, your snow tires, your snow tire rims, sorry. Well, it's not too late to get snow tires, but uh, I suspect that after last week's snowfall, you had a bit of a rush. <laughs> Absolutely. The first snowfall always scares some people and, and uh, makes the phones go. Um, but we, we generally put on snows right till the end of January. Uh, everybody has their own uh, general rule of thumb when to put them on. I put mine on right after Thanksgiving, and that's what I encourage a lot of people to do. And in some cases, it's after American Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, Jeremy, thank you very much for being with us this morning and answering some of the questions that uh, I know a lot of people have concerning snow tires. Right. It's very helpful. To I appreciate you keeping us safe on the road. Thank you very much for having me. And when we come back, we'll talk about Cyber Monday and Giving Tuesday. Welcome back to Ask BBB. I'm Jim Swan. And I'm Deb Brady. And with us now is the person who's usually on the other side of the microphone, BBB Communications Manager and Show Producer, Ashley Castleman, joins us. And Ashley was here last week to talk about Black Friday. So where are we now? Today we're at Cyber Monday. Ashley, can you tell us all about it? Cyber Monday is your opportunity to get uh, large discounts on online shopping. It's the biggest online shopping sales of the year, and a lot of retailers have great sales. So what those mega deals, do we have some mega scams as well? Definitely. There's always, if there's a sale, there's probably going to be people trying to scam you out there, so it's always best to use caution. When you're shopping online, you're going to want to make sure you are using a secure website. Look for that little lock um, on the uh, address bar. Also, make sure you're on the actual website that you are intended. So make sure if you're at the store you want and not a phishing site, which is a fake site trying to uh, steal your information. If I got a pop-up from my favorite store, Deb's Gifts, and I click on it, that could be a phishing scam. I should really write Deb's gifts into my browser? Exactly. You're never one on just going to click on a pop-up. That's a great way to get a virus or just for them to steal your information if you're going to put any personal information or any credit card information in. So should I be using credit cards? Credit cards is a safe way to shop online because you do have the security that Visa and MasterCard offers you for fraud. But at the same time, you don't want to go through that hassle of dealing with a fraud charge. So it's always best to use caution uh, so you don't have to deal with that. And when the credit cards give extra incentives, for instance, extended warranties or something like that in, in my program, would that also apply for online shopping? Yes. Yes, it would. Is there something I should do to prepare my computer for online shopping? Make sure you're using a good antivirus software. Um, that way they, they scan any potential websites you're using, and that way you don't get any viruses on your computer. Great information, Ashley. If I have any money left over after my Cyber Monday, what do I do on Tuesday? There is a new movement uh, called Giving Tuesday. It's a great opportunity for you to donate to your favorite charities and give back to the community. And are there any tips related to that? 
always, um, when you're looking to donate to a charity, you, you're going to want to know just more than about the cause. You're going to want to know where their money's going. So your donation is going towards the program. You don't want to donate to a charity that has high fundraising costs. So you want to know the charity's going to utilize your donation properly. Where do I get that information? You can go head to our site, bbb.org, search the charity name. We have information on their mission, their programs, uh, where their uh, fundraising money goes to. The uh, advice that you gave earlier about uh, websites and phishing would really apply here because I can see that that uh, they would take advantage of emotion, uh, put forward some some false fronts and, and lure you in. So you really want to make sure you're on the right site in this case. Uh, definitely. There's a lot of charities that are great charities, but there's also a lot of scammers that are using their name uh, with phishing sites that look like theirs, but the donation's not going to those charities. So you're going to want, again, make sure you're on the site you intend to be. So if people are uncertain about going online to do their donations... Would it be wiser to give to the kid who knocks on the door for collections? Uh, even with when door-to-door uh, canvassing, you're going to want to make sure that charity is actually soliciting by door-to-door because that is another way that people do trick people using other charities' names. So you can always give the charity a quick call. Just ask, are you doing door-to-door canvassing in my area? And if that's the case, you can always mail the charity a check directly as well. Okay, so that we know it actually gets to the ultimate hands. Exactly. Okay. What about the people on street corners that are collecting for charities? There's definitely a lot of uh, charities that uh, try to get donations on the street. They'll approach you um, downtown or at malls. Um, Definitely be wary of on-the-spot donations. You don't have to donate to anybody right on the spot. Uh, donation a few days later after you do your, your research is just as good as a donation uh, without that pressure. If I am going to donate on the spot, on the street, should I give them cash or a credit card? A lot of the charities that approach you on, on the street uh, only offer uh, credit card donations. So you don't necessarily want to give your credit card information to some stranger on the street because you don't know if they're actually collecting on behalf of that charity. A uh, donation tomorrow is just as good as a donation today. So it's best to take their information, do your research, and then either uh, mail a check or do a donation online. So it's safe then for me to put a toonie in the kettle because we've already heard about the Salvation Army's uh, collection. We know that they're out there. So we, we can expect them, but be wary about uh, charities that we're not familiar with. Exactly. A lot of the uh, street uh, approaches as well, uh, they're uh, third parties, so they might not necessarily be working directly for the charity. That's why you want to do your research. So speaking of the charities themselves, I understand that BBB has something called Charity Review. What is that all about? Uh, we have a great program where we r- review charities, uh, whether they're in London, Vancouver. It's a nationwide program, and we review them based on uh, governance, fundraising materials, finance, uh, and different aspects of their organizations. So you can go onto her, our website, uh, find the charity you're looking for. If you can't find it, we're always willing to do a report on them, and we'll investigate them and see if they meet our standards. Uh, you're going to want to be wary of charities who don't disclose because you want uh, to donate to a charity that's open and you know where their money is going. 
Okay, so is there any last tips you want to give us about Cyber Monday and Giving Tuesday? Uh, just like with Black Friday, just uh, shop smartly, do your research beforehand, uh, pay attention to uh, the company's policies. And also with uh, Giving Tuesday, do your research again. Just because they somebody approaches you for it doesn't mean you have to donate at this instance. Uh, just check them out first before you uh, send them some money. So I guess you can always ask BBB. Thanks, Ashley. And next week on Ask BBB, we'll be welcoming Allison Graham of Elevate Biz. Who will be talking to us about how to be a smart networker during the holiday season. And as well, we're going to welcome Jeff Christofferson of Smart Web Pros. Who will be helping businesses learn how to maximize their presence on the Internet. And Ashley, you're going to be on this side of the microphone again next week. What's your topic? I will be. I'll be talking about the 12 scams of Christmas. Maybe we'll get to hear Jim sing again. (laughs) We'll just have a sing-along. We want to say thank you to our producer, Ashley Castleman, BBB Western Ontario's communication manager and producer of this show. And as well, thank you to assistant to the producer, Chris Lavoie, who is operations manager at BBB Western Ontario. Until next time, I'm Jim Swan. And I'm Deb Brady. And remember, start with trust. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.